begin the talk tonight with a poem by Lao Tzu. The ancient masters were profound and subtle. Their wisdom was unfathomable. There is no way to describe it. All we can describe is their appearance. They were careful as someone crossing an iced over stream, alert as a warrior in enemy territory, courteous as a guest, fluid as melting ice, shapeable as a block of wood, receptive as a valley, clear as a glass of water. Do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till the right action arises by itself? The master doesn't seek fulfillment, not seeking, not expecting. She is present and can welcome all things. So looking at this welcoming, because this is what we want to do in our practice with our minds, is to be as welcoming as a guest, as a host, to be kind and treat with equanimity whatever it is that arises, whatever visitors decide to drop by, to be with all of them, to greet all visitors. Generally, we're pretty selective about what we choose to be with in our minds. Meditation opens up everything, and so we're allowed to be with the entirety of our experience, not just this part or that part, but with all of it. So, we see visitors that we don't know yet. Part of the process is getting to know the visitors that we haven't met yet. We see visitors that we know very well that have come by many, many times. In this case, it's enough to just say hi, to say hello. (laughs) We don't have to get totally involved with them. We can just say hello with politeness, with kindness, but just say hello. With the visitors that we don't know yet, it's investigating never-before-seen tendencies, that which arises in the mind that's new, that's unknown. We get to know what these patterns of mind are, what these tendencies of mind are. With the visitors that we know well, it's related to the same stories, the major themes in our lives, arising over and over again. We know them very well. We've seen them come before. We've seen them exist in our houses before. We've seen them leave. So just being with, allowing the stories, the themes to arise and to pass away. We welcome visitors with whom we clash, visitors that we don't like, visitors that are unruly and impolite and stampede through breaking glasses, causing chaos, Visitors that seemingly have no shame. (laughs) We also meet visitors that we want to stay and we want to offer a seven-course dinner to in order to entice them to stay longer. (laughs) And we also see visitors that just take up room. They bore us. (laughs) They monopolize the conversation. 
they occupy the bathroom when we want to be in there. Every time we turn a corner, there they are. And they just seem to clutter up the house. Treating all of these visitors with kindness, magnanimously, expansively, with the confidence that there's enough room to accept whatever, whoever wants to drop by. That the vastness of being is able to contain it all and that we can learn from their presence and most of all, seeing that they really are just visitors. Nothing more, nothing less. Arising, existing, and passing away. And in that, in seeing this, and in treating everything that arises in our mind in a welcoming way. There's great peace that we find within this seeing. In other words, seeing the visitors exactly as they are. Playing host or taking on this, this role of host or relating to our thoughts, to our sensations, to the feelings that arise in this way is really a wise option because we don't have control about what arises. We truly do not have to take responsibility for the contents in our mind, for these various visitors. We think that we do, and so we get very upset when what arises isn't that which we want to arise. But we really, truly do not have any kind of responsibility So if we can learn to let go and to not take on responsibility where we truly do not have any, we have no control about this aspect of reality, then there's an ease that arises and then there's not as much charge. Where we can free ourselves is in our relationship to them. We can see that it's not effective to push them away. They're quite determined. And you push them out the door, and they just come right in through the window. (laughs) We know this. We see that it's not effective to ask them to move in, to ask them to stay around. And we see that it's not effective to ignore them. But to see them more and more exactly as they are, to see them clearly, And as we see them more and more clearly, more and more they cease to be problems. They cease to be problematic. Arising, passing away, insubstantial. And as we're willing to look, which is this welcoming, as we're willing to get close, as we're willing to get in there very close with the aspects that arise within us, we're able to see more and more clearly this insubstantiality. So we touch the peace in seeing clearly, that peace that's underneath all the visitors. Something Maharaj, who is a, an Indian yogi, said is, that which we are not aware of, we're slaves to. And that which we are aware of, we're masters of. So the encouragement of more and more self-knowledge encouragement to know ourselves more and more clearly. And what is self-knowledge? 
It's not images. It's not what we've been told by other people about us. It's not what we've told ourselves about ourselves. A number of years ago on a three-month retreat, I called my family up at Thanksgiving. And I talked to my father, and he said, why don't I come and get you right now just for the day? <laughs> and he's, I said, no, you know, that, that wouldn't work. And he said, well, just tell me one more time just what it is that you're doing. <laughs> Which is a difficult answer. You know, not reading, not writing, not, not, not. Difficult to say what, what it is. And so I gave some kind of response around um, being here around self-knowledge. And his response was really, really endearing. He said, oh, in that case, I can tell you everything you want to know. (laughs) (laughs) And truly meant it. (laughs) This is not what we mean by (laughs) self-knowledge. Because it doesn't have anything to do with what anybody is telling us about us. And it also has nothing to do with what we're telling ourselves about ourselves. Neither one of these things. It's, it's a fresh kind of seeing. It's only happening now. It has nothing to do with past. It has nothing to do with memory. It has nothing to do with I am this and I am that, or I am not this and I am not that. It is really just a seeing, a knowingness, being awake to whatever it is that arises. It includes thought, and it's deeper than thought. Meditation brings us into contact with our mind-body experience. And through this contact, liberating insight into ourselves and into our world arises. The only way this insight arises, the insight that frees, is by being in touch with what it is that we can be in touch with, which is the experience of this very body and of this very mind. Not anything other than that, but exactly being in contact, being in touch with our experience right now in the present moment. And when we're close, when we are willing to embrace, to get in there and rub up against whatever our experience is, it's possible for insight to occur. This contact illuminates our experience so that it's possible to see unconscious, limiting assumptions about how we think things are. Not how things really are, but how we think things are. I had an experience a number of years ago of being in a situation on retreat where I was kind of surrounded by dangerous animals. Um, I would go into the bathroom and there would be a big scorpion staring at me. And I would do walking meditation and there were snakes out there and it truly wasn't just my mind. (laughs) This was a known kind of thing. Wild dogs and, you know, all sorts of, of things. And you really never saw much of anything, except for these scorpions, very big scorpions hanging around. You really just were told that they were there. And so I would do walking meditation pretty late at night, and also the candles, the whole 
no lights, just candles, and so one would illuminate one's walking path with all these candles that burnt down in about two seconds. <laughs> A lot of the practice was about going and lighting the candles over and over again and using about 1,500 matches for each candle. So it was a pretty thorough practice in and of itself. <laughs> Anyhow, I would be walking out on my, this walking path, and in the beginning, when I first got there, I was really pretty scared. You know, I'd never been in a situation where there really truly were dangerous animals around. Dangerous people, plenty, but not, <laughs> not dangerous animals. <laughs> and I was really pretty isolated. I was really pretty by myself. And... Um, other people, we didn't share the same language, and I'm sure a scream would really go across <laughs> cultures. <laughs> but still, it was a pretty frightening experience, especially in the beginning. And so I would kind of um, go out there anyhow and experience all this fear, experience all this, this terror. And um, what I finally got, just through doing the walking meditation, being aware of the fear itself, what finally um, broke through, or what I finally saw, was that I had this belief, this assumption, that all the animals were looking at me. <laughs> you know, it was one of those very funny things, because it was, it was very, very unconscious, and I was just aware of the fear. And I saw that I thought that they were all really interested in me, looking at me, watching me, what is she going to do now? <laughs> And I realized, you know, of course, they have their own lives. <laughs> They're not interested in me. Perhaps if I walked in the wrong place and one went by my path and I stepped on one or, or frightened one, yes, you know, there would be um, probable harm in that. But other than that, they were just eating and, you know, um, forming families. And, and truly were not interested in me. I mean, truly they weren't. And when I saw this, I was able to let go of a lot of the fear. It's not that there wasn't still some there, because I could. It was very dark out, and if these endlessly lighting the candles didn't work, um, there could be cause for danger. But to have this whole big chunk of it drop away by seeing what seemed to be a very silly kind of thing, but there it was. There it was, and it was causing the fear. So the whole experience became quite different after I saw this, this assumption, this belief system. Now part of the path, just to balance this, part of the path is, is discernment. And in that situation, in that particular situation, there really was um, not a major cause for fear. I was in a safe place. And unless I did something that was, was foolish, um, probably I wouldn't get hurt. So there was too much fear for the situation. However, walking down a city street, um, rather than blind fear, in contact with the reality of the situation that there is often a hostile environment in the city, an appropriate response is to protect oneself, is to care for oneself, and not to challenge the situation, but to respect the um, natural sense of limitation. So being present and investigating our experience throws light on our life. 
That's exactly what it does. That's exactly its function. It just showers light on our life. It illuminates our existence. It illuminates our experience so that we can see in a deeper and deeper way what exactly is going on, what it is that is really happening. Questioning, investigating, questioning softens. It softens and it allows for the dissolving. It doesn't dissolve, it just allows for the dissolving of various assumptions and thought patterns and tendencies that seem quite hardened and quite me. Questioning, not in any kind of harsh way, but just asking, what is this? How is this? Being with it, being in contact with the actuality of this body and of this mind dissolves, (coughs) unties the knots that we've gotten caught in. And it opens up the possibility of seeing and living in a less confining and a more expansive way. This doesn't come about through any kind of imitation, any kind of imitating someone else or trying to become someone else or comparing ourselves to anyone else. It has nothing to do with imitation. We can see this often in this environment, being in silence on retreat. Sometimes you can see, um, particularly during eating, I don't know if you've noticed this or whether it is happening to you, but sometimes you might notice sitting down and sitting across from another person and everybody being in silence and, and not looking at one another, but sort of out of the corner of your eye noticing how someone else is eating. And then perhaps a bit of a conforming to what one sees. The person is eating very slow, and so your mind thinks, says, they're eating very mindfully, more mindfully than me. (laughs) (laughs) So you slow down just a little bit. You know, hard to catch, but just a little bit. Slowing down to be as mindful as that other person, when, of course, that other person could be totally spacing out and just looking very mindful. You can also see it uh, with food in terms of how much, how the amount, you know, comparing what's in your bowl to what somebody else has. And I think particularly with women, um, always coming out on the bad side if we have more than other people. You know, something around that not being, uh, not, not being okay. So comparing just the amount that we take, maybe when we go through the food line, We take two of something and we notice if the person in front of us is taking one and we use that. And what we really can see is that it doesn't, none of what's been mentioned comes about through any kind of imitating. There are no particular models of how this whole thing is supposed to unfold. It has its own laws and it just unfolds within each person in somewhat of a personal way. And so we don't need to adhere or hold up models. This person did it this way and that's my path. Each of us has a very individual path and the practice is really coming into our own experience, coming into our experience exactly as it is and in a sense making our experience our own experience rather than what we've been told experience should be, how we've been told to do this or that, or just from a feeling of insecurity. Perhaps you've noticed walking 
and looking at other people walking and adjusting your walking, or at least using it as an excuse to not think that one's own walking is the way it should be. When really the path has nothing to do with the way things should be or the way things ought to be, it's really right now coming into one's own experience. This can't be emphasized enough. Whatever way one is doing anything, if there is contact, if there is knowingness, which can't be seen from the outside, someone can be doing something that looks very unmindful, and yet the inner experience can be that of mindfulness. Someone can look totally, just, you know, a fine job of slow walking. <laughs> someone recently mentioned that uh, they used to try to outslow everyone. <laughs> you know, and what kind of mindfulness is that? The seeing of it is mindful. But the actual trying to go more slowly, there's ambition in that, there's insecurity in that. Um, it's not the most mindful kind of thing. When maybe other people were looking at this person saying, oh boy, how mindful. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with imitation, with imitating anybody. It's right here, right now, being what is in your mind, being what is in your body, being with whatever the experience is, without it being right or wrong. Whatever anybody else's reaction is, it doesn't matter. It's really honoring and respecting and being with whatever reactions are occurring inside of each one of us. Sometimes a good question to ask at various times during the day is if there is no peace happening right now, if there is the, the lack of peace, um, why? Just a very simple question, not condemning and not uh, being harsh with oneself or anything like that. I should be feeling peaceful. I should be feeling light and easeful right now. But just as a gentle guide inside, just as a way to find our way inside and to be more fully, more clearly with our own experience. Just at various times during the day asking this. And sometimes one sees that there is something that one is holding on to that can be just dropped, just dropped. You know, sometimes we see this. So that question can be a helpful guide. You have to be careful with it because um, sometimes we hear it as I should be, something other than the way I am. But just that kind of questioning and looking at our life can be very, very helpful. Various moments throughout the day to ask this. We might be noticing in this process of, of self-knowledge, of getting to know ourselves, that there are thoughts or feelings around needing approval needing other people to approve of us. And this also has to do, this is tied into what I was speaking about before with the imitation, imitating others. And we can see that we really, really like to be praised. We really uh, love it when we're praised, when someone says something nice about us or looks at, it at us in a certain way. And we really dislike it. We really have a hard time when somebody criticizes us. The, the part in retreat about letting go of eye contact can sometimes be illuminating in this way because we can see that sometimes when we're looking in one another's eyes, we're just looking for approval. There's a very raw sense of, um, do you like me? Or am I okay this way? 
And being in the silence, dropping the eye contact for a while, and then coming out of the silence and being with one another again, with eye contact, sometimes you can really get a, a very strong sense of this. And eye contact or no eye contact, certainly this arises in our minds, liking the praise and be, having a really difficult time with any sense of criticism or thinking that people are blaming us. And what we can see as we look more deeply is that they're all empty, that the world is quite imperfect and that people will praise us at times and people will blame us at times and that it happens to everyone. Um, when I first heard this teaching, I immediately thought of the Dalai Lama. You know, one always wants to make exceptions, <laughs> but not that person, not that person. Um, and so I thought of the Dalai Lama and then I thought, oh goodness, but the whole Chinese uh, nation uh, doesn't like him at all. <laughs> not one bit. I mean, they do not see the Dalai Lama the way we do. Not, not in any way. And I'm sure the same is, is true for anyone, for Mother Teresa or for anyone that we can mention, that it's always like this. And that if we see it in this way, we don't have to get caught. We can just see it as part of this imperfect world. And we don't have to get snagged on it. We don't have to get caught by it. And in this kind of seeing, in, in this kind of investigation, there is really the possibility of touching more and more the mystery inside of us. You know, we don't know how it's going to unfold. We can't plan. We can't expect anything. And we can know that as we go more and more deeply inside of ourselves, inside of our own experience, that there is the touching of the mystery. The Greek um, root of the word mystery is interesting. It means to close the lips or the eyes. And it doesn't mean something that we don't know. Mystery doesn't mean that which we don't know. It means something that we can't be with through the senses. It means something that's beyond the senses. And the way that we touch this more and more deeply is through the senses. In other words, through being with this body-mind experience and it leading us into something that is quite, quite different. Let me finish with a, a poem about being with yourself, being with your own experience. If you look for the truth outside yourself, it gets farther and farther away. Today, walking alone, I meet her everywhere I stop. She is the same as me, yet I am not her. Only if you understand it in this way will you merge with the way things are. Why don't we sit together for a moment or two? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.